this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business, supply chain and globalization and the effects these have had on the way we work, play and live over recent decades. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both from me and from my interviewees from around the world. In today's program we will be talking to Alexander Nauroth, partner at the Dusseldorf-based management consulting company Lebenswerk Consulting Group. Since uh, the inception of Lebenswerk in 2016, Alex has successfully helped dozens of company leaders uh, create fast and long-lasting top and bottom line growth. Alexander is also uh, an expert on digital sales tools and driving behavioral change deep down into organizations. Uh, before co-founding Lebenswerk, uh, Alex had a career in the international logistics business stretching back some 15 years to the mid-noughties or thereabouts with international logistics companies such as Daxer, Schenker, Worldnet, CTC and Maersk. So welcome Alex and thank you very much for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks Patrick for having me. I look forward to our discussion. You're very, you're very welcome. So maybe um, just to kick off, if you could give us perhaps a high-level overview of your career to date and uh, how you got from, I guess, the time you came out of college to being the partner in a, an independent boutique consulting company today. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, I have my roots within the shipping industry. You know, as a kid, I always liked to hang around at huge harbors. You know, I love these gantry cranes. So I moved to Hamburg uh, from Düsseldorf with a 400 kilometer stretch and uh, took up uh, the management trainee program with Merskline, the world's largest container shipping firm, which I'm to this day really grateful for. Um, then I was uh, seconded to South Africa, worked there for South Marine. And then after the global financial crisis hit, I moved into the freight forwarding industry, uh, then worked for Schenker in Australia, and then also in Germany, being a sales manager. So really, I had the whole uh, yeah, sort of experience with ocean freight, with freight forwarding, and then uh, worked also for DAXA, which is a uh, Europe-leading uh, road freight provider uh, in the sector of industrial and chemicals. Patrick, I always had a passion, you know, for uh, helping people. Um, and I saw always myself more being a consultant than just a salesperson. Salespersons are more like order takers. So I always had a huge passion of really understanding what are people's needs, how can I help them or make them more successful. And ultimately, I had an interest then in consulting. Now, in the end of 2016, my business partner, who used to be a CFO at World and Logistics, and I met coincidentally, and then we thought, well, there are a lot of consulting firms there, but let's try and do a few things differently. And we thought, well, we would not only like to really help uh, make companies more successful, but we also really want to drive the solutions and really be uh, responsible for the implementation because we feel only if you have a measured improvement, you have been ultimately successful as a consultant, right? And Lebenswerk is German and stands for Lifetime Achievement Life's Work. So our goal really is to enable everyone in a company to retroactively regard their own contribution as their own life's work. Yeah, and um, my passion still is for ocean freight. Yeah, that's why we talk today. Uh, quite exciting time. So I help companies really in uh, getting to the next level of cost savings, but more importantly, to really help make the supply chain more resilient, be more strong in the competitiveness. My second passion really, as you rightly noted, is on um, creating long-lasting, high-performance sales organizations, which ultimately also drive the uh, revenue growth and the competitiveness uh, yeah, with innovative solutions. Okay, so what would be the, the key services that Lebenswerk provides to its 
clients and how would you say or how do your clients say that they are better off after working with you? Oh, thanks. Fascinating question. So look, very simply put, uh, number one, I create high-performance sales organizations. So very practically from the designing of a sales strategy until someone says, look, Alex, I've got 30 salespeople. They've all been in the home office with COVID-19. They cost me each 100,000 pounds a year. What am I doing with them after COVID? I help companies to really yeah, get the maximum uh, performance out of the sales organization, help them to uh, restructure it if needed and overly improve the return on sales. And number two really is to reduce um, the global ocean freight and air freight transport costs and help uh, foster better relationships between suppliers and between you um, as clients. Um, yeah, that's, I think, is a good summary. Okay, so as you know, many companies in, in the European Union, including Ireland, uh, depend a lot for supplies uh, on China and other East Asian countries, I guess both manufacturing companies and distribution companies here in, in Europe. So right at the moment, there are serious costs and capacity issues going on in ocean freight that you and I have, have discussed already. And you've just published a white paper um, about this issue. So what, what exactly is going on in uh, ocean freight at the moment? And what should importing manufacturers and distributors in Europe be doing about it? Yeah, look, right now, um, I guess you could really call this a wild roller coaster ride of sea freight rates, which importers, freight forwarders, and shipping lines have seen. It currently takes place, especially in the Far East and Trans Pacific. And it has never been as extreme as it is today. You know, like it always has been, you know, some ups and downs. Um, you know, experienced veterans of the industry will know that. There are certain indices, but um, co um, container costs have risen up to sixfold uh, over the last uh, one to two months. So normally you would pay, just to give you one example, for a 40-foot um, container from Europe, say to Ireland, about 1,500 to 2,000 euros. Now uh, you can easily pay over 10,000 euros. In fact, I just spoke to one of my Swiss clients. They're paying up to 15,000 Swiss francs landed cost from the port of Shanghai into Switzerland. Bit of landlocked country there, but still it's, it's extreme. Um, and, um, you know, normally that's the other thing which imports are really, uh, yeah, I guess having now a bad situation. Normally you would have a three, six or 12 months validity on your rates, maybe a little bit less on five import, but say it's say three months. And unilaterally, if that makes sense, uh, forwarders and especially shipping lines have said from one end to the other, you know what, um, we can't entertain this conduct anymore. Uh, we're going to uh, dismiss it now. And if you still want to have services with us, you have to now pay the new rate. And the new rate is amongst like the five-digit range or a very high up four-digit range. And then, uh, you know, and like what we see here um, is, and this is the third effect, is a massive, massive pressure on capacity. You know, you've got around, um, you know, about 40 million containers worldwide. And at the moment, uh, Asia has pretty much recovered uh, from it. China, some ups and bits, and people are ordering from Amazon and the other likes. They order and order and order. And most of this stuff is made in China. So now, obviously, this is the sudden increase in demand. Uh, only a limited amount of supply. Why? Because guys like Maersk, CMA, and MSC are part of an oligopolistic um, industry. So, and you can't just say, well, I want another ship. Um, you don't have like a 3D printer which prints out another ship. It usually takes you two to three years to have a new um, delivery. So you have a very, very limited supply. So when the ships are full, they are full, right? And then whoever pays the highest freight gets on board of that. And that leads to this um, spike. And then on the other hand, you know, you've got the freight forwarders who are very limited, if not no measure at all over the shipping lines. Why? Because they do not any assets, Patrick. And uh, just to give you one example, the top five 
only own less than 10% of the world market share, while the top five of the ocean container lines own almost two-thirds of the global market share. I see. So th- some of the causes then are COVID-specific, like the spike in um, e-commerce that's driving you know, maybe the Amazon uh, factor, but other factors are more long-running. Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, it's just been basically piling up, like, uh, like I said before. There is another trend where now ocean carriers, to my uh, opinion, are trying to imitate. And, you know, if you put yourself in their shoes, uh, you would probably understand that they're trying to imitate Amazon. They say, well, I'm going to control the assets, right? I have the ships. So why do I not try to control also the relationship with the um, with the direct shipper? Say you are importing uh, something into Ireland, let's say just toys, okay, from, um, you know, from the Far East. You have either the choice, unlike with air freight, by the way, you have either the choice to go with someone, say, let's say, Vibishenka, or you can go directly to someone like Merskline. And in the past, you had to have two or 3,000 containers upwards, otherwise shipping lines wouldn't really be interested in you. Nowadays, they say, well, anything north of two or 300 TEUs, uh, you're very welcome to become become one of our customers. Why? Because they say the more we own uh, with the customer relationships directly, A, we have a better margin because we're going to cut out the middleman, which is the freight forwarder. So, um, and you know, I have the thesis that uh, the shipping lines, of course, are not completely at fault, um, but they may partly say, well, you know, it's been very tough with your forwarder. Well, if you want in future a better capacity, better directly approach us. And in my white paper, I'm sharing ways on how you can actually approach these guys. And um, so, you know, for a shipper, there is basically like this, uh, you know, take it or leave it position. Of course, you can take it and say, well, I'm going to wait till the whole storm is over. But I'm telling you, try and make lemonade out of the melons you're currently getting. Like, in other words, don't always uh, look at forwarders. Maybe if you have a very strong business, it's now the right time to actually approach shipping lines. And they may help you, especially in the capacity to get your cargo on board. What would you recommend then as kind of short and long-term measures uh, for companies to better manage uh, the rate and capacity challenge? Yeah. So, I mean, this is uh, what I've recommended also to to one of my large clients, which I have for many years, Songebar. It's a um, French-based large building manufacturing uh, company, in fact, the oldest corporation in Europe. Uh, so short term, you want to really look um, very diligently at your last six months to 12 months volume, especially, you know, what were your volumes about a year ago? Um, then you also want to look at um, what kind of service level agreement do you have currently in place with your forwarders? Are there any measures of sanctioning, you know, underperformance of uh, your forwarder? Like, is there, for instance, a bonus or a malware system? Um, are there any other forwarders which you may have approached in the past but are not part of your current uh, portfolio, maybe because they're only ranked second or third in your previous freight tender? Well, it may now be the time to reach out to them. And the last short-term measure really is to think um, you know, very hard about your current inco terms. So like in other words, uh, this was in fact one of the things I discussed today with, a, um, with an Irish importer who has actually a very uh, large share on CIF, so cost in freight. It means that your supplier is responsible for the freight uh, till it gets basically up to the shores of Ireland. The disadvantage is that you have no say whatsoever over the capacity and about the cost because you just have to bear whatever you know the costs are getting on forward to you. So it might not be a good idea to rethink it and say, uh, you know, perhaps I can take the control here 
And you're going to go on your own on the market and see what FOB rates you can actually get. And perhaps you can actually beat your own. And, and FOB stands for free on board. Yeah, free on board. That's correct. Okay, which basically means that they place it beside the ship in the Chinese port. And correct, correct. Yeah, that's right. And that's, by the way, 90% of, um, you know, of, of, of companies are predominantly using that term. It's a bit more work, not so much, but you are mostly in a far better position to control a capacity and the rates. What are long-term measures, Patrick? So long-term measures, like I said, could be to uh, generally critically challenge the way you have procured ocean freight rates in the past. What got us here won't get us there. So, um, and um, and also long-term, please do not wait until China's new good, and I hope it will get better. I mean, yes, things may ease a little bit, but it is nowhere near uh, that it can get back to the normal before it has been with COVID. The last pandemic we had 100 years ago, so things will change. So, you can think on saying, well, how can I um, improve the attractiveness of my uh, freight procurement so that uh, large ocean carriers will also be interested uh, to participate in that? Um, you may think then, well, it may limit you the choice of carriers, but the fact of the matter is most of the shipping routes from the Far East into Europe are already with two or more different shipping lines sharing the same service. So that is the long-term measure. And the final thing is really if you haven't done that yet, to um, define contractual terms, what happens if a shipping line rolls a container that you are entitled for a compensation? Yes, it is very hard to negotiate that, but I can uh, show proof of many of my clients where we have done that, and they have been partly compensated then for this. Uh, and with, with Chinese New Year is coming up now in about 10 days' yeah. time, I think. So do you reckon things will improve after Chinese New Year? You know, it will definitely um improve on the, the um, on the supply side because you will have you tend to have you know if you look at the last 10 years of uh, utilization of vessels a little bit less after Chinese New Year um, because companies have just been piling up and just want to push out all of the uh, freight they want to get paid and then until the staff is getting sent home for one to two weeks uh, until the holidays um, but you have to look at this from a competitive um, and economic background. So the shipping lines, again, they own more than almost two-thirds of the entire world market share, the top five. Yeah, And um, why would they have an interest to lower the freight rates after they, have been, after they have been paid so well over the past few months? So they may you know, come back and say, well, we've got a little, little bit less in demand or to buffer that. They may take out certain vessels, what you would call blank sailings. Um, it's a bit like when Lufthansa during covid you know, has less of a frequency of flights. Uh, that's what happens then. Uh, so we will definitely see, uh, um, you know, a, a slight decrease in, in freight rates. But uh, overall, I would uh, say it is very, very certain for this year and for the next year that the freight rates overall will be a lot more than last year. And that means for decision makers, it's now the right time to really critically freight your procurement for the next one to two years. You know, some companies, I guess, particularly in Ireland, where there would tend to be smaller scale, would probably be worried. You know, they'd say, you know, maybe I don't have sufficient volume to be able to yeah. go directly to a, a shipping line. So what would you say would be the, the cutoff or some kind of minimum volume figure? Yeah. So the minimum volume figure, I'll say anything north of two to 300 TEU uh, per year. Um, and then and a, T, a TEU is a 20 foot equivalent unit. So two to 300 uh, TEUs, 20 foot equivalent units. I'm sorry, this is just the old ocean guy in me. <laughs> uh, 
so generally you have TEU 20 foot equivalent unit and, and, and FEU 40 foot equivalent unit. So 140 would equal uh, to 20 um, foot containers. Mm. And uh, what's very important, what I always recommend people is like, don't, don't uh, throw out your entire volume on the market. Really look on the Pareto distribution. You typically will have 20% or less of your lanes which will accrue for more than 80% of the volumes. I had, again, one case today where it was the case where we basically said, well, 90% of your volumes is coming in from only five ports. And he had in total 15 ports. So only look at these you know, top 20% of the volume lanes and only take those and then say, well, guys, I need a freight rate here. Because shipping lines love three things. They love consistency of the volumes, Okay, that, um, that the freight volumes are just coming in. It's not so important if they vary a little bit could be 20 containers a week or, or 30 or even 20 containers a month or 30 containers a month, then they like tend to like light 40-foot containers yeah, because they can uh, combine it very well with the typically heavy 20-foot containers which are coming from China. And number three is also um, they will uh, honor you with a longer validity. If you say, dear shipping line, I'm going to do my entire next 12 months with you, what can you do for me? Um, I'm not saying that you will have guaranteed all-in freight rates, but you have a, definitely a more consistent freight rate and you have definitely a far better capacity. And like I said before, um, if you look at two examples here, Patrick, Maersk has just swallowed Danco a couple of months ago. Um, CMA, CGM, which is the world number three in container shipping, has swallowed SIVA or not swallowed, but integrated SIVA logistics. So what you will see is that these shipping lines have a very good uh, or far better comp competency than what they ever had in the past. So if someone says, well, but I'm not sure if they can do customs clearance, if they can do uh, bias content, all of these kind of things, well, I, let me tell you, Nurse has done air freight chartering a couple of months ago, and they've also bought a customs clearance agent a couple of months ago. So these guys are stacking up. And like I said, um, at least you can try. And, um, and there are ways to make your freight ruling attractive enough. Or, and this is the last point, if you are one importer, why don't you um, combine like a combined procurement with two or three other importers and then you approach the market again. This could also be another way. Yeah, interesting. And so some companies may also be thinking, listen, I've been working with my forwarder for a long time. They're doing a great job. Um, if I start going to shipping lines direct, you know, is that going to, how can I ensure that my freight forward is going to play ball with me afterwards? Yeah, fair enough. Well, look, I mean, at the end of the day, the freight forwarders um, have only one um, thing in their hand. The only way that they are not being obsolete in the next couple of years is they have to become more innovative. The forwarders have uh, often a better IT functionality. They have a higher amount of portfolio services. So you might still say, well, the forwarder I still use you, for instance, for customs clearing or maybe for the local freight, but I would really like to have a better capacity on the ocean freight side. So I know many companies where we said, well, we're going to procure ocean freight directly with carriers. We have an open book policy and we use the forwarding agent to do the custom students, for instance. Yeah. Uh, another thing I would say is uh, it is definitely important if you invite forwarders and shipping lines to the same freight tender. Of course, you have to uh, do this in a careful way. That means you have to understand, well, which carriers is your forwarder currently using? You typically have, you know, certain forwarders, they use TRA. I'm just calling out, for example, names, Harper, Lloyd, NSC, tier B or C is maybe only MERS. So then you might say, well, okay, I'm going to approach uh, forwarder A and say, I'd like you to procure your tier 8 um, carriers. And then you're also going to go to the market and go to, to MERS line. You will every now and then have cases where companies say, well, what name is this business? And then carriers might say, well, I can't quote on this business because one of my clients 
uh, is uh, basically currently shipping that. And this is the only thing, but other than that, you know, I always say the best wins. And um, the thing is, if forwarders don't uh, adjust to that, Patrick, they will sooner or later vanish from the market. Yeah, so maybe maybe what we'll do now, we'll step up a, a level out of um, ocean freight and just yeah. take a strategic view over the, the supply chain and some of the trends as 2021 begins to unfold. So what kind of trends are you seeing in the wider supply chain and what changes do you think will be permanent coming about from all the disruption uh, and difficulty we've had over the last year or so? So I think there are three things. The first thing is we will see more uh, rationalization going on in the market, meaning, in other words, that you will see more, um, um, you know, a higher market share of the top five. It is extremely expensive to run a shipping line. So I presume that most CMA um, or MSC or even Hapag-Lloyd will try to buy other smaller shipping lines in order to really enjoy the economy of scale effect. Um, if you look at the last 10 years, uh, the top five had a market share about uh, 10 years ago of maybe only 41%. They only have it, they, they now increase it to 65% and this trend will continue. Trend two is that the freight forwarding market, and here's one other um, bold thesis I wrote in an article for a large German magazine three, three months ago, then finally, uh, Klaus-Michael Kühne, the CEO and owner of Kühne Nagel, uh, actually used it, um, not because he read it, but uh, I think he also had a similar idea than me. I think we might see that one of the very strong or biggest forward in the world might maybe try and buy a shipping line in order to create an equilibrium. It, it will not be expensive to buy a shipping line, but it will be very expensive to run it. Uh, that's the problem, um, but that's the only way. If you want to try and... Uh, control somehow the supply, you have to maybe try and buy it. Um, and number three is that uh, for uh, the customers, for the shippers, um, it will be more difficult to get uh, what you pay for, or to get like a good service for what we pay for. Yeah, uh, because we see, I mean, all of a sudden shifting in demands, we see disruptions, just look at GameStop, where like the share level just, I think, went up by factor 100 because some people basically uh, cheated on the market um, just by doing um, a weird thing over the internet. So again, there will be ups and downs. So for the freight procurement people, it means that you have to have a healthy mix of forwarders, of uh, shipping lines, and you have to really know what's going on in the market in order to really uh, have control not only over your cost, but also about your capacity. I always like to say capacity wins and capacity beats the freight rate. If you really want to be delivering your customer in the shelf and that the customer will still get your good and ultimately buys it. Okay. So as we come into the last couple of minutes now of the interview, yeah. we might just change gears and uh, I might ask you a couple of questions just about yourself. So outside of work, what kind of things do you like to do in terms of hobbies, pastimes, sports, and so on? So when I was uh, 16, I was really um, into playing classical saxophone to such an okay. extent that I had to then... Um, not only done some competitions later, I changed to a jazz band, so I absolutely love jazz. Um, I'm now living near uh, Amsterdam, um, commuting between my offices, uh, Düsseldorf and, and near Amsterdam, and I love to surf, even in winter. It can be as cold as six degrees. In fact, I used to surf about three years ago in Donegal Bay in Ireland, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were the waves, were the waves considerable? What were they like? Oh, yeah, they definitely were. And they have one really freaky big wave called Mullamer Head in Ireland, which I would never attempt this in a million years. <laughs> okay. but there's some brave helmet who are trying to. Okay. Have you read anything uh, lately that inspires you that you would recommend to our listeners? There is um, 
this one book uh, is from a German uh, guy, Vladimir Kamina. So he grew up in the Soviet Union in Russia. And when he was, I think, maybe 13 years, he uh, emigrated into the, uh, sorry, immigrated into Germany. And he, and, and I'm reading his book called Militär Musik, so military music, where he basically describes his upbringing in the old Soviet Union, Russia, and how everything was apparently amazing. So that was really interesting because it's written in a very sarcastic way. So I recommend that. It's actually interesting. There aren't as many books as I would have anticipated describing what life was like yep. behind the Iron Curtain. I would have expected there to be a lot more, but there aren't really that many. Well, that's one of them. So military music from Vladimir Kamina. I'll check it out. I'll check yeah. it out. So where can where can people find out more about you, about Lebenswerk, about your work, your thinking, your content and so on? You know, website, social media and all of that. Look, I'm more than happy, you know, to provide uh, anyone who's interested who reaches out to you to the show um, with a free copy of the white paper called, uh, you know, the um, rate roller coaster and capacity seven strategies for your ocean freight in turbulent times. People can find on LinkedIn, Alexander Narroth, and can jump on lebensworkconsulting.com and uh, read a lot more about my body of work. And then, of course, more than welcome to reach out for an absolutely open uh, conversation with me. Yeah, that's important. So if anybody would like a copy of Alex's white paper on ocean freight, send me an email to uh, pdaily, that's P-D-A-L-Y, pdaily at alba, A-L-B-A, albalogistics.com. So that's pdaily at albalogistics.com for a copy of Alex's white paper on ocean freight in 2021. So, well, Alex, it's been a pleasure talking to you today and uh, wish you the very best both professionally and personally. And many thanks for being here with us. Thank you very much, Patrick. I had a lot of fun uh, talking to you as well. Thank you. Thanks also to all of our listeners. And remember that if you would like to know more about how I can help you to formulate and implement international business strategies that deliver, check out my blog on albalogistics.com or pick up my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, on Amazon, Google Books or Apple Books. Thank you for listening and keep well until the next time. <music>